You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to another edition of the Pathway to Peace show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. Pathway to Peace is a show where we take an analytical look at how we can achieve peace, whether that be political peace, economic peace, societal peace, or inner peace. I invite you, the listener, to get involved in the conversation here on the Pathway to Peace show. You can do this by tweeting at Voice of Islam UK, or one word, using the hashtag VOI Peace. That's VOI for Voice of Islam, followed by the word peace, to let us know your thoughts. Today, in today's show, we will be examining the concluding address of the annual convention of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Germany, an address that was delivered by His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmed, may God strengthen his hand, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. To help me do this, we have someone in the studio who was physically there at the uh, in Germany, returned recently, and it's actually my regular co-host, uh, Mr. Sufyan Faruqi. So Sufyan, assalamu alaikum, welcome, welcome back from Germany. Give us, give us an idea of what it was like. Wa alaikum salam, Arif. It's uh, great to be back in an uh, English-speaking country. Uh, <laughs> uh, that being said, Germany, Germany was a wonderful experience. Uh, my first time attending uh, the Jalsa Salana, the annual convention of uh, the country of Germany. As uh, our listeners are well aware, each and every country in the world holds their annual convention. But the annual convention this year in Germany was particularly special because it was after four long years yeah. that the German Ahmadi Muslims had been waiting for the caliph to come back. And obviously we had the pandemic and other stuff going on over the last uh, four to five years, which uh, restricted travel. And now those have all been lifted. So people from across Europe and around the world traveled and flocked to Germany uh, attendance of over 47,000 people came to a brand new site, RF yep. in uh, the town of Stuttgart, which is uh, south of Frankfurt, um, some ways away. Mm -hmm. But it was really nice because this Jalsa Solana, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but it was literally, you go to the airport, you land at Stuttgart Airport, you come out of the airport, you cross the road, and bang, you're at Jalsa. Oh. That close to the airport? That close to the airport. You didn't and have to get in a car or anything? You didn't have like to get in a car. Interesting. Didn't have to take any taxi, take hmm. nothing. You can literally, with your luggage, which is exactly walk what there. I did, wow. walk to Jelsa, walk straight into Jelsa, go through the security checkpoints at Jelsa Solana, and you're in. So literally, I traveled on Saturday morning after Fajr prayers. Mm -hmm. And I was there for the lady speech of, of Jalsa Sulana that His Holiness, the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community gave on Saturday. So it was just a phenomenal experience. The size of the venue this year was um, more than double the size of the previous Jalsas. Yeah. Obviously, this was my first time, so I can't give you a direct comparison of what it was like mm -hmm. in past years. But from what I heard, they refer to these big markets, these big facilities as Messes in Germany. Mm -hmm. So last year and over the last few years, it was at a messe that had four, four halls. Uh, so probably two for ladies, two for men. And that was decent, but obviously the German uh, Ahmadiyya Muslim community was uh, growing and is expanding as, is, as it is around the world. They needed a bigger site. And they 
looked into this messe in Stuttgart, which is not four, not eight, but ten halls. Wow. So five for women, five for men. So you had the the main Jalsa Ga, as we refer to it, the main proceedings of the Jalsa, which were in the biggest hall on the men's side. You had a similar hall like that for the ladies. Then you had dining for each. Then you had two halls of accommodation. And then you had a bazaar and the bookshop and all of that stuff. So a huge facility. All these Ahmadi Muslims and guests, yep. uh, I forget the exact number, but there were many, many guests from around the world that were attending Jalsa Solana for the very first time. And it was just an emotional experience for the Germany Ahmadi Muslims, and particularly on, I think, after the ladies speech that His Holiness gave you, sense the emotions from mm-hmm. the ladies, with the with the slogans being raised and the the songs of praise that were sung, uh, glorifying God and and the Prophet Muhammad, and and just a warm feeling, uh, community feeling. Uh, a lot of uh, emotions pouring out in mm-hmm. that session. And then again, at the conclusion of the final session, you probably saw it on TV as well, RF on Muslim television, Ahmadiyya. Everybody just was kind of raising slogans. There was a lot of uh, uh, praise, uh, singing the La ilaha illallah, uh, and, and all of that happening. And you could just sense the emotion and the passion and the buzz. Uh, it was a, a wonderful experience. Lots of new faces, lots of new people. Uh, I made reference to, you know, Eng- being back in English speaking, but in Germany at the Jalsa, there are people from all over Europe. Mm-hmm. So you heard people speaking all different types of languages. You had people there from Africa. You had people there from Eastern Europe, people there from the, the Russian desk and that delegation. So a lot of people that may find it difficult to get visas to come for the UK Jalsa. Um, that for whatever reason, because of their immigration status or whatever, can't make it to the UK uh, for the Jalsa Solana here, uh, had an opportune oppor- uh, time to go to Germany. And because the caliph was there, people came in in droves and over 47,000 yep. people uh, participated in the 47th annual convention of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Germany. So wonderful experience, highly recommended. Uh, for anyone that's thinking about going, definitely go. And it's a normal, it, it was a normal place where the caliph would go each and every year for Jalsa. It's just been unfortunate that over the last four years he wasn't able to go. So all that pent up kind of emotion came out this year for, yeah. for the German Ahmadi Muslims. So it was a wonderful experience. And the actual address on the final day, is that is that seen as the pinnacle? Is that one of the main things that you wanted to be there for in person? Would it be fair to say that? Yeah, that is very fair to say because in looking at, I mean, just from a logistical standpoint, I mean, I was fortunate enough just before Germany to go on a holiday with my family. Yep. And coming back, I was like, I can't afford to take more time off of work so but then again I didn't want to miss I wanted to get as much of the Jalsa Solana as possible now from a logistical standpoint I traveled in Saturday morning got most of Saturday but then Sunday uh, a few people that I know were leaving on Sunday evening the closing session and that's kind of the main event for for at least for the men's side where His Holiness is delivering a speech because the only other two speeches that were on the men's side was the Friday sermon and the Saturday speech, uh, the second speech after the ladies' speech was a guest session, which not everybody was allowed in to the hall where that event was happening. Uh, so the the pinnacle for 
uh, everyone really because it's the conclusion obviously but particularly on the men's side for me personally it was important that I was there for the full full duration mm. and I got to experience that the full conclusion uh, and the climax at the end where you do the congregational prayer yeah. uh, with His Holiness the silent prayer and the emotions that we saw afterwards with the songs of praise and whatnot uh, just to experience that I I pushed my flight to Monday, first thing Monday morning, right. just so that I could be there for the for the ending, uh, because it, it is just a, an amazing sight. I mean, it's one thing to watch it on your screen, but to actually be there and and feel it, you could you could feel the passion, and you even saw it. I don't know if you noticed this, Arif, but even on MTA, they tried to capture it when they showed uh, His Holiness waving to the crowd. You saw a little smile on on His Holiness's face because what what His Holiness was seeing. Yeah. And and being right there, I could see it as well. Like the passion and the zeal and the energy that you sensed from the people standing in the crowd was just phenomenal. There was a on social media, on the Review of Religion social media account, I think it was on Instagram. So people can have a look at that on Instagram if you look for Review of Religions. There was one video that tried to capture, which yeah. is almost impossible. It tried to capture the feelings and the emotions and it interviewed people directly after the His Holiness left the guy and there was just they were very emotional like you said they said you know we haven't seen him for so many years and to be in his presence they talked about the electricity almost and the energy in that hall was like something on another level really <clears throat> because of the gap that people mm. had had between seeing him previously as well so I think it is uh, one of those that you have to experience it really so you made the right decision then in terms of rearranging your flight right oh yeah definitely I highly recommend it and, and and don't leave early because you just miss out on so much and just just if you're gonna travel for any Joseph Salon around the world especially wherever His Holiness is going then then try to get as much of it as, as you possibly can um, and, and, and stay till the very end because there's just so much to see so much to hear so much to experience so many new faces so many new people and uh, I mean speaking of people you know his holiness in his concluding address and i'm sure we're going to get to this here uh, momentarily what it was just a continuation of a, a theme that we've seen arf and we've discussed here so many times uh but he took it from a different angle and i even i remember we have a, a group arf on on, on whatsapp for preparation for this show, right? Yeah. And right when that speech started, yeah. I remember I threw out a message in in the group, in our little group, saying that, oh my gosh, His Holiness is going to speak about, about rights. more rights. I mean, how many more rights are there? And the funny thing is, there? I was already thinking it, and then I saw your message, yeah. and I'm sure uh, the others in the group had the same thoughts. So let, let's get into that right away then. So let's talk about what His Holiness covered in this uh, address. And as Sufyan, as you've already really well explained, and you've already done the preamble on this, is that, it was a continuation of a theme that His Holiness has covered for a while. And this is coming back to the idea that for a Muslim to be a true Muslim, he owes certain rights to God and then certain rights to human beings and others in society. And in this one in particular, His Holiness talked about another category of people or another area, another specific situation where there are specific rights um, that have to be adhered to. So this time, the first thing which we'll talk about, we'll discuss here, the first area which he began, which I, again, you never really can predict where his holiness is going to start. It sounded, it was so interesting when he started on this area, was around financial obligations. So the first piece was around um, regarding business and loans and financial dealings in particular. Now, the crux of this, um, what he said there, uh, really centered around this one a fairly long verse um, of the Holy Quran, chapter 2, verse 283. Um, so uh, I'll read this for our listeners right now. So it says, O ye who believe, 
When you borrow one from another for a fixed period, then write it down and let a scribe write it in your presence faithfully and no scribe should refuse to write it because Allah has taught him. So let him write and let him who incurs the liability dictate and he should fear Allah his Lord and not diminish anything therefrom. But if the person incurring the liability be of low understanding or be weak or unable himself to dictate, then let someone who can watch his interest dictate with justice and call two witnesses from among your men. And if two men not be available, then a man and two women for such as you, for such as you like as a witness, so that if either of the two women should err in memory, then one may remind the other. And the witness should not refuse when they are called and do not feel weary of writing it down, whether it be small or large, along with its appointed time of payment. This is, the more, this is more equitable in the sight of Allah and makes testimony surer and is more likely to be kept from you, sorry, is more likely to keep you away from doubts. Therefore, admit not to write, except that it be ready merchandise which you give or take from hand to hand, in which case it shall be no sin for you that you write it not. And you have witnessed when you sell one to another and have witnesses when you sell one to another and let no harm be done to the scribe or the witnesses. And if you do that, then certainly it shall be disobedience on your part and fear Allah and Allah grants you knowledge and Allah knows all things well. So that again was Surah uh, Al-Baqarah, chapter 2 of the Holy Quran, verse 283. Now, Sifian, I think it, it, we could spend the rest of the time on the show unpacking all of the detail advice in here. But it's isn't it fascinating that this is a religious text, you, you know, an inspirational text for billions of people across the world, yet it, so much time is sometimes spent analysing something that may seem trivial. You know, me, like let's say I was lending you money, us being instructed to write it down. But the level of detail that is given in this verse uh, yeah, I find it, it you know, incredible. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. When you think this is just one verse of the Holy Quran, uh, you know, and, and the level of detail that uh, God Almighty goes into, you know, uh, as you're reading it there, I was just underlining it on our notes uh, as to like the different points. Yeah. So the, the first and foremost is, is, is the fact that it's just stressing the, the, the write it down. And it's interesting that it that it specifically calls out that not neither, neither party should be writing it down, but you should have a third independent person yeah. to be able to write it down sure. for you. It's like okay, how you, you take that for granted, and and so many times we see problems arise amongst friends, amongst families, uh, and and if you really really think about it, it all stems from the fact that they didn't write write yeah. something down. And yeah. the, His Holiness kind of alluded to that that if you if you follow this commandment and this verse. Uh, to the best of your ability, then you won't run into these problems. If if you write it down and you have a scribe and yeah. you call to witness, you you have witnesses, um, then you won't you 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 won't these issues won't arise. And if the issues do arise, then you have it written in black and white. And it's really fascinating, RF, that it talks about. You know, do not. It, God knows that people are going to be reluctant to write it down, so He re-emphasizes later in the verse, and do not feel weary of writing it down. I think that shows the author of the Quran has such a deep understanding of human nature, and this is yeah. one reason I feel it's a revealed book. It's like they understand the nature of man that uh, you know they'll be weary and that they wouldn't write that down. So I completely agree. And also, there was another bit here about 
him who incurs liability should be the one to dictate, right? Mm. So if you're lending me money, I should dictate. That is another wonderful teaching because sometimes we've seen it in the business world. It happens all the time. A business transaction will occur, let's say, between me and you. If you were to draft the contract and I signed it, yeah. there's a risk that I haven't understood the terms or I've misunderstood the mm. terms. The fact that I'm the one who incurs liability and I dictate it, I think is a really interesting safeguard between people misunderstanding the terms of the loan. Or if you were trying to trick me, that was one way you could do it. And this also yeah. negates that from happening. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And it turns everything that we see today happening in in the financial world today, where it's oftentimes the person with the upper hand that, that's dictating the terms. When we look yep. at when we take loans from the bank, is we don't get to dictate the terms. It's the bank that tells us what we need to do and how we need to do it. And if we don't understand the terms, then it's our job to go get a lawyer to help us understand it. Whereas in an Islamic society, it's flipped on its head and it said the person that's taking the responsibility, taking the most liability, is at the most risk, the most vulnerable. That person needs to dictate the terms. Yeah. And and I think what I find really interesting here is that over time in the, you know, even in non-Islamic countries, the Western world, we've adopted some of these things. Maybe we don't even realize that it's in line with Islamic teaching, but the idea of having a, a summary document, the key financial terms, you know, now when you sign an agreement, there's a cooling off period, but there's also specific template that has to be filled in by every loan company that is standardized and easy to understand. Hmm. So it's people are putting in safeguards, but this one here is actually so simple uh, yet so powerful. And then in the next sentence, it, it also talks about if those signing are of low understanding or weak or unable to do something themselves. So that, again, is safeguarding fraud, people from fraud, which is a, a huge issue in the world mm -hmm. today. The amount of fraud and the amount of scams out there. You know, this is a really simple yet effective way taught over 1400 years ago of, of eliminating that kind of issue. Yeah, absolutely. It's this is such a comprehensive verse. I mean, it it reminds us, as you mentioned, Arif, that the author of of this book, that this was the the this verse is in the Holy Quran, has such intricate knowledge of human nature and what's happening and and what will happen. I mean, if you think about it, this was revealed at a time where they barely had enough paper to write down what was being revealed to the Prophet, and. It, <laughs> This, this verse is so comprehensive, the more you reflect on it, and this is exactly what His Holiness keeps on reminding Ahmadi Muslims and everyone who listens to him around the world, is that we need to pay attention to each and every verse of the Quran, to read it daily, to reflect on it, to ponder on it. And this was just another instance where His Holiness was doing exactly that. One thing that did come up was it talked about the witnesses for these financial transactions, these law, uh, legal transactions or loan financial-based transactions where one person is lending money to another. <clears throat> In talking about the witnesses, it mentioned how um, there should be, a, you know, you can have a male witness or in the case of women, there should be two witnesses. Now, this is something that you've been looking into as some people allege, you know, this shows that Islam you know, doesn't maybe give women the rights due, etc. And I think this is something you looked at and there was something yeah. from the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya community I, who spoke on this in I one of the books. I just want to pull it up just so that I don't yep. get it so I think, wrong. Yep. Because um, the thing here is that, you know, this is oftentimes a misconception uh, about the religion of Islam, like why do you need two for one, um, and why is this so? Um, why is there this gender difference? And His Holiness on allislam.org, the fourth caliph, um, there is reference to what the fourth caliph says, and um, it speaks quite elaborately about uh, the meaning of of this. But what it was interesting was when you were reading the verse, one thing that I underlined is that. 
it talks about calling two witnesses from among your men as well. So there's not really, it's, it's not really unfair. And in the case of the woman, it's not that there needs to be two witnesses to make up for the man. It's that there's one woman that, that that's get, going into an agreement with uh, their counterpart, who could be male or female, but that they, they have that other woman as... Uh, kind of a safeguard yeah. we're talking about safeguarding and backup uh, th- to in case in case there's some information that um, is forgotten or needs the, the person needs somebody to bounce and bounce something off of or recall something that they have an assistant to kind of help them it's not that they're being that two equals one yeah. it's one equals one but the woman has an assistant and the article on alislam.org actually mentioned Another thing that is worth mentioning here as well, uh, in that when um, when the uh, woman, um, sorry, I lost my place there. Uh, let me come back to that. Sure. Or, and this is so to explain where we're taking these extracts from. This is from a book book called Islam's Response to Contemporary Issues by Hazrat Khalif Al Masih the Fourth. So Hazrat Mirza Ahmed. Uh, may rest, God rest in peace. May rest in peace is uh, the author of that book, which covers a lot of these contemporary issues and specifically answered this uh, topic about the the female witnesses. Yeah. So what I was going to say was, in an Islamic society, there is oftentimes the, there's the, there's a huge amount of of um, protection for for women. So whenever a a woman is going into a room full of men, she is advised not to go alone. So the article on alislam.org actually points this out as well, that it's mm. not just the matter of the, the agreement and the witnesses and whatnot, but also from an Islamic perspective, uh, a, a woman going into a male setting by herself uh, puts her at risk, makes her vulnerable. So in order to protect the woman, she's advised to bring somebody else with her that's going to be on on her side so each and every time even we see it even here um in, in our mosques whenever there are meetings where there's men and women uh advised to come that uh, not just one individual woman is advised to come but a group of two or three women are advised to attend that meeting as as a group rather than an individual and that is purely for the protection of the woman so even in this case it's following that same islamic principle of having more than one for their own protection yeah makes sense and like you said earlier as well it's still one of them who is officially the actual um signatory or witness um just like there would be a man so Another person who requires protection and is specifically mentioned in this verse as well, Sufyan, is the scribe, the person in the middle writing it down. It the verse highlights that there should be no attempt to, you know, um, do anything to the scribe as well. Do you want to give us your thoughts on that? I mean, that's just amazing. I mean, this is something that normally we would overlook. Like n- nobody would pay attention to the person writing it down. I mean, in at work or if we we have people that come to meetings to just take notes and we just overlook them pretty much until after the meeting when we want all our notes then we're like oh okay well, that person was doing something uh, but the Islam is so comprehensive in its teaching that it even accounts for the scribe and yeah. saying that the scribe needs to be protected now it, it was interesting to me that this even was part of the verse and it's just it just shows you how uh, comprehensive the teaching is that it even talks about the note taker and to be able to uh, 
execute a an agreement with with justice, it's important to have a third party there that's writing it down, that's not biased to one side or the other. Yeah, or hasn't been corrupted as well. I think that's another thing as well. In this system of having the two parties, if that person, if the things being written down are different to what's being discussed for whatever reason, either you know, if, if it's the person's coerced, then that opens up a whole different conversation. And this is not something theoretical. You know, this is exactly how people would. Uh, twist these kinds of agreements in favor of one person or the other. They would corrupt that person in the middle, the, the authority that is trying to uh, record this information. Um, and again, it's it's when you read this verse, your your mind is taken to maybe society in, in Mecca and Medina in, in the 7th century. But it's just as applicable today. To me, it feels like this is just applicable today. If we think about um, some of the modern day issues or scandals with businesses and companies, Enron, for example, that had all these accounting problems and, and because of that, the, the business collapsed or these uh, other businesses that do collapse in the real world. A lot of the time it comes down to this around not having uh, accurate you know, recollection of information previously, not recounting it correctly or not independently bringing things together in an honest way and being transparent, but hiding these things. And and it's the essence, really, when you distill it down, comes in this one verse, really. To yeah, me. it's it's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, the amount of detail, the level of detail that this verse goes into and His Holiness in this concluding address at the Joseph Solana in Germany 2023 just elaborated on this verse and uh, pointed out how important it is uh, that we adhere to the teachings that are given to us in the, in this verse of the Holy Quran, Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 283. You're listening to the Pathway to Peace show here on the Voice of Islam radio. Be sure to follow us at Voice of Islam UK on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Use the hashtag VOIPeace, that's all one word, to send us your thoughts, comments, and feedback. So the next, moving on to uh, further in our analysis then, to highlight additional items around loans, the paying of financial obligations, the respect that should be given to a loan, how it should be handled, you know, the status of people who are indebted. His Holiness highlighted a few different traditions and sayings of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, um, in, the, in the form of some ahadith that we have here. So... Um, let's present a few of those um, to try and illustrate the point. So the first one, Sufyan, we want to talk about is actually about waiving uh, off debt. So do you want to uh, share this with our listeners? So Hazur discussed comprehensive rights uh, that Islam establishes and referenced again Surah Al-Baqarah, which happens to be the longest chapter of the Holy Quran. So there's a lot of references from uh, Surah Al-Baqarah. Uh, verse 84, which which quotes, uh, says, And remember the time when we took a covenant from the children of Israel, you shall worship nothing but Allah and show kindness to your parents and kindred and orphans and to the poor and speak to men uh, kindly and observe prayer and pay the zakat. Then you turn away in aversion except a few of you. I think I read the wrong verse there, didn't I, Ar? It's all right. It's, it's very relevant still. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, you know, His Holiness uh, talked about, um, you know, the uh, how this verse emphasizes the respect that Islam shows to people of all faiths. And there is a, a uh, saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of God be upon him, one that we've quoted and cited here many, many times, where that His Holiness referenced again about a funeral procession going past and the companions and the, the Prophet stood up. And at that time, the companion said to the Prophet, 
oh master prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam this person that you were standing for was of of a Jewish faith and the holy prophet's response was uh well even though he was Jewish was he not a human being so this shows how much respect and honor the prophet showed to all people not because of their faith or it didn't discriminate because of faith but because they were um he he gave rights to all human beings and the same rights were applicable to all yeah absolutely so you're right that was a uh, that was something we were going to come on to but that is absolutely relevant now and actually it does link to the hadith uh, one of the hadith so talking of um, you just mentioned a jewish man there there was another jewish man as well that was mentioned by his holiness so there was a hadith that was discussed where another jewish person jewish person um had a loan with the holy prophet peace be upon him so um the the hadith narrates as follows it says a, a, a jewish man once came to demand the loan he had given to the holy prophet peace be upon him he was extremely harsh in his demeanor which angered the companions however the holy prophet peace be upon him told his companions to calm themselves as he owed the jew the loan and the jewish man had the right to demand it observing these high morals of humility and restraint the jewish man accepted islam so sufyan that's an interesting one where someone came to the holy prophet demanding the repayment of a loan and rather than the holy prophet peace be upon him sort of being defensive about why is this person asking for this you know the companions were very upset that it was demanded in this way but his holy prophet the holy prophet peace be upon him actually said no this is he didn't say this is the right behavior but he said no he's right he has a right over me i'm in debt this person has a right to ask for the money back so it shows that he took it very seriously the idea of someone owing someone else uh, you know a loan or owing someone else some money yeah, it just shows the standard, and this is the standard that His Holiness, the Fifth Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, wants us as Ahmadiyya Muslims to follow in our daily lives. And how many times has it happened that somebody has come to us and reminded us that, oh, hey, remember we had this deal. And it's a failure on all our parts because we're very slack in writing it down. Um, which yeah. the verse that we talked about at the top of the show talked a lot about is writing things down. Um, and if you go back to that verse it talked about I believe at the end it talked about setting a, an exact time and date when, when the repayment would happen as yeah, well the terms, so if, correct, if yeah. we did that then we wouldn't run into this issue um, but it shows this this uh, a hadith that was you just narrated Arif just shows the level the standard that the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of God be upon him had not just to members of his own community but for anyone yeah. that even if it was from outside of the community, he gave him the same respect and the same honor um, and believed that it was this Jewish man's right to come and ask for his his money back or whatever it was that they were, were trading at the time. So it just shows the level of, um, you know, the level of respect that the Prophet had for all human beings. He also took debt very seriously. So from an Islamic point of view, you know, the the funeral prayer, you don't read the funeral prayer of someone who is indebted. And if we look at the next hadith then, um, which was talking about a situation um, around uh, the funeral, it's mentioned that in another narration, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was asked to offer the funeral prayers of someone. The Prophet asked if the deceased died in a state of debt, to which he was informed that he had only... He had owed, only owed two dinars, which was a small amount of money at that time. The Prophet said he would not offer the funeral prayers. This person still owed money to someone. At that point, Hazrat Ali, may Allah be pleased with him, paid the loan. 
so that the person could have the honor of having his funeral led by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. The Prophet led the person's funeral prayer and he prayed for Hazrat Ali as well. So I think in that narration we see as well the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, took very seriously this idea around the importance of if someone is indebted, you know, it's vital that they clear their debt before we read their funeral prayer. And he took that seriously. And uh, in this situation, Hazrat Ali um, stepped forward and paid that you know, uh, paid that on behalf of this person. Um, and then, you know, his the Holy Prophet was then able to proceed the prayer based on the Islamic uh, teaching on this. So it shows again that this is taken seriously. It's not mm -hmm. something that someone, people should take lightly when money is owed to someone. It's a serious obligation that Islam really does emphasize the repayment of that loan. Yeah, and it also shows, or if the, look at the the minor amount that this was. There was only two dinars, yet the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of God be upon him, stood by those principles that, that, were laid out by the religion of Islam of repaying debts and even though it was a small amount of two dinars there was an emphasis laid on repaying that debt before the funeral is led now if you think about this at a, at a broader scale I mean if it's also protecting the future generations Absolutely. of that person because now no longer are you passing on the debt to your that this person's debt's not being passed to their kids and then their kids passing it on to their kids and it's just the can keeps getting kicked down the road and and eventually somebody has to pay that debt and yeah. islam nips it in the butt and says no you have to you have to clear your debts before you pass away and it's something for all of us to think about is is to make sure that we have our finances in order and that we've repaid all of our debts before our time comes and that's a really important point because the title of our show really is around you know islamic principles in practice but how fair trade leads is a fair trade as a pathway to peace because if people take loans casually, if they're not written down, if there's debates and fights about, I owed you this, no, you owed me that, no, I've already paid you. Then if people lend money and never pay it back, or if people lend money with no intention to pay it back, there's so many issues and problems that result from all of that, all which take people far away from peace. Whereas the teachings here are all bringing us much closer to a peaceful society. Absolutely. You are listening to the Pathway to Peace show here on The Voice of Islam. Be sure to follow at Voice of Islam UK on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and TikTok. Use the hashtag VOIPs to send us your thoughts, comments and feedback. There was one more uh, hadith I wanted to, us to talk about as well, um, which is around the waiving of debt. This, uh, this, this takes it to another level now as well in terms of a, a, a truly um, benevolent society as well. It's mentioned that it was narrated... Um, that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said, Allah will shade with his shade on the day when there is no shade but his. A person who gave more time to a debtor who was in difficulty or waived a debt for the one who had lots of debts. So that's from the collection of Ahadith of Musnad Ahmad, Hadith 532. So Hazur then went on to say that, you know, in today's age, we don't, we don't see this at all. We see people acting un, you know, unfaithfully when it comes to loans, etc. But the teaching here is that actually, if there is someone who owes you money and you see they're struggling, either extend the period of time for them or waive their loan. And if you do that, it doesn't tell you to do that, but it says Allah will shade. Allah will protect people with his own shade on the day when there is no shade but his, referring to the Day of Judgment. It shows that it's a blessed thing to forgive or uh, someone who's struggling to repay or at least extend the terms of the loan. Yeah, and how gracious is this teaching? I mean, if this was something that, you know, society today would, would practice, our society would be 
in such a more peaceful and yeah. blessed place because I mean this is unheard of I yeah. mean where where do we see in today's society especially here in the West where people forgive each other's debts I mean usually it's about how quickly can I get my money yeah. that's the attitude people have absolutely is it's, if you're taking a loan okay when are you going to pay this back is usually the first question and charging interest on top what I found really interesting though as well is that actually this is happening in this country because in the UK I know because people are struggling with the cost of living they're financial institutions who are kind of through government legislation being told to give some kind of relief so mm. there are schemes that banks are running right now where they're ringing up people and saying oh, if you're really struggling we can switch you to a different deal maybe an interest only mortgage for example in mortgages or extending the term yeah. <laughs> extending the term of your of your uh, loan which is exactly what was mentioned here um, you know 14 again 1400 years ago in the, t- the teaching of Islam that was mentioned as a as a really good blessed thing to do by the person and yeah. again it's not doesn't tell the person who has the debt to ask for an extension it doesn't say that it just puts an incentive it also doesn't command you to do this this is not saying God says you must extend the terms yeah. it's just giving you an incentive to say those who do that who forgive someone who is struggling to repay their loan for them this will be something of you know Allah God will bless them yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the banks, and obviously interest is a whole nother ball game, and that's a whole nother show to talk about. Uh, a deep topic to to get into, and maybe we will get into that in a future show. Oh, we actually covered it in a previous one, so in June, if people uh, want to yeah. go onto SoundCloud, um, I was looking at a previous script we just did in June, which is when we interviewed Mr. Daniel, Daniel Arif, Arif in his book. on his book. So that's on the, the SoundCloud page if you search for Perfect to Peace. Uh, yeah. uh, look for the original sin and interest you will find uh, the reference to that interview yeah that's the best place uh, to go to get uh, more detail on the topic of interest because that's a, a deep one but it's interesting you mentioned the banks and, and uh, what they're doing and and you know, we would like to think that they were inspired by this uh, teaching that we're we're talking about by the, by the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of God be upon him but who knows uh, it, it is a very you know, again, it just it re-emphasizes that Islam is a religion where it looks out for everyone's rights. It looks at the rights of those that are most vulnerable. Yeah. And this hadith really talks about, you know, helping to protect those that, that may not have the means to, to pay back the loan and, and, and being gracious enough to, like you said, extend the term or, uh, you know, forgiving them of of their debt which is which is probably the the best thing anyone can do and then as you mentioned uh or if that god has put an incentive in there that god will have mercy on you on the day of judgment by giving you that shade yeah exactly exactly that and it's you know it's there as an incentive as something over and above that you can do and it's something that will you know be be a good thing and it leads again that leads to a more peaceful society I think in the UK for example we have these provisions when people are in distress when you have a real issue someone can't pay the loan then there's certain financial groups that can help and step in and help people manage their debts but it's almost a point of last resort in a way whereas here like we said um, you know this was mentioned so many so many uh, centuries previously so I want to move on to the next area now uh, it's it's an area you already gave us a sneak preview of Sufyan which is around um, the more broader topic which is not just the rights of uh, people relating to loans but the more broader society the rights of the general public um, so this is expanding on not just how people should treat um, you know the, those in, in, a, in a situation of a loan and a debtor someone in 
in uh, lending someone else money, but actually broadening it. And this is a new category of people that His Holiness talked about, the rights of the general public. And this was really the theme um, for the rest of the speech that you would have you would have listened to in the uh, in the uh, Gar there in the in Germany. So you've already mentioned the verse there, Surah Al Baqarah, chapter two, verse eighty four. Let's recap then the the people mentioned in this one verse. So it talks about. Um, it talks about that you should worship nothing but Allah and you should show kindness to your parents and to the kindred and to orphans and to the poor and you should speak to men kindly and observe prayer and pay zakat. So that already pulls out a few categories that we've already covered in, His Holiness has covered in certain areas, certain previous speeches. But here, I guess, when he said, you know, and speak to men kindly, that immediately broadens it. So now we're not just speaking about one particular segment of society, we've broadened it now to a whole you know, a much broader um, group of people. And um, His Holiness then went on to just explain some really kind of simple uh, principles. But again, like we've said, if these were applied across all of society, the world would be a better place. The first one I want to speak up, pick up on was around wanting for your brother what you want for yourself. So His Holiness said that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, taught a Muslim must like for another Muslim brother what they themselves have preferred. No one, no one of you becomes a true believer until he likes for his brother what he likes for himself. That was a saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Such a simple teaching, yet something, you know, the world would be a better place if uh, we all followed this. Yeah, this is, uh, I mean, it's become kind of, uh, I want to say cliche, because how many times have you heard this? Like, like want for your brother what you what you'd want for yourself, or want for yourself what you'd want for your brother. Um, it's, it's, it's just part of our Every, people are very quick to say this, but when try to try to practice it, is very very difficult. And and the prophet, uh, peace and blessings of God be upon him, was first and foremost in in doing this. When we look at the way that he treated everyone around him, when it comes to his wives, his children, um, you know, his adopted his adopted son, um, you know, the way that he treated orphans, the way that he treated um, his servants. Uh, the way that he abolished slavery and treated them like like human beings. This was all 1,400 years ago, uh, in a society where they used to bury their 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 baby girls alive mm. before the advent of Islam and the teachings that the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him, brought. Uh, they treated their servants and their slaves so poorly. Uh, these conditions were unbearable. And then and and you know, if you look at it from today's standards, you would think of it as as absolute cruelty and. And um, and torture, uh, but it was normal back then in, in the Arabian society. And the the Prophet then took that society and brought them to a point where you want for your brother what you want for yourself. So treating your servant or your slave as you would want to be treated, giving him the same clothes, the same food, um, giving him shelter over his head, uh, you know. And if you're sleeping on a bed, then give your servant. Uh, a bed as well. I mean, and, and you even look at this in the modern day, the, the Joseph Solana in Germany and even here in the UK, you know, when um, they set up accommodations, they, they give everyone a mattress, they give everyone a pillow, they give everyone a blanket, and everyone's everyone's treated the same. It doesn't matter where you come from. Yeah. If you go to Joseph Solana and you ask for an accommodation, you'll get an accommodation. But if I'm the king of a country... <laughs> I'm going to get the same accommodation that my brother from a remote village in uh, in some uh, remote country, developing country yeah. gets. I'm going to get the exact same mattress, the exact same pillow, and the exact same blanket. So it's, 
want for your brother what you want for yourself and everybody's going to be treated equally and we also see this at the pilgrimage in Mecca as well exactly and actually links to the next topic that his holiness mentioned which was around racial equality so he talked about how the holy prophet peace be upon him said no race has superiority over another race and the link uh, that always makes me think of um, Malcolm X and the Hajj Mm. because it was when Malcolm X formerly uh, you know it was a student of Elijah Muhammad when Malcolm X went to it was when he went to the to the Hajj to Mecca and he saw people from all different faiths and all di- sorry all different races under the umbrella of Islam and they all came together and everyone was uh, treated equally that really changed his view he actually said I was wrong I was wrong in my, my views about race and it was the Hajj experience traveling pilgrimage to Mecca and seeing that scene that really changed his view as well which was mentioned by his holiness in terms of that the holy prophet peace be upon him and said no race has superiority over another race um, and also um, the promised messiah peace be upon him has emphasized this idea as well um, he said that in the fourth in the conditions of initiation to the community the promised messiah the fourth condition he mentions that he shall inflict no injury he shall not inflict injury on any of god's creation of any of god's creation so it shows how you know the the compassion is expanded across all of humanity. Um, so His Holiness highlighted that as well. That when we talk about being treating the general public in this way, we make no distinction between any kind of um, racial groups or any nationalities. It's all everyone is treated equally. And it was wonderful hearing you, Sufyan, at the start when you were recounting your experiences in Germany about seeing, hearing the number of nations and the different types of people that you met there and how they were all represented uh, you know, in that, in that single event. Um, Hazur also, His Holiness also then went on to kind of, you know, you, he, this is what, something I found fascinating as well. When he's giving this advice, when he's giving a sermon, sometimes you feel he's talking directly to the members of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, which are his, I guess, primary audience in a way. But at the same time, he's also dispelling misconceptions about Islam for non-Muslims. Yeah. But then also he doesn't um, shy away from or take a step back from calling out, you know, issues with the wider Muslims in the world. So His Holiness specifically criticized some people as well in terms of the, he highlighted that the Taliban, for example, misrepresent Islam, some of the things that they are doing. And, you know, he's mentioned that groups like the Taliban are misrepresenting the teaching of Islam. So what he's calling out here is that he has presented what Islam actually teaches. What you see maybe by some groups who claim they're representative is not the true Islam. And he's drawing a distinction there. And he's, he's openly calling out that they, you know, they've exhibited behaviors for example not allowing girls to be educated um, as one example they've exhibited certain behaviors that don't actually match what Islam is teaching in the first place yeah and he doesn't specifically call them that they're not Muslims yeah. as, as we're instructed by the Quran to uh, n- not reference to uh, I mean everybody's journey as a Muslim is their own personal journey and I have no right to determine whether somebody is Muslim or not Muslim but what His Holiness does is His Holiness takes the true teachings of Islam from the Holy Book revealed, that we believe is revealed by God Almighty the Holy Quran analyzes those teachings and then compares and contrasts what people in the world are doing in relation to those teachings. So the Taliban claim that they're Muslim. Okay, they can claim whatever they want. But then when we look at the teachings that are given in the Holy Quran, and this is exactly what His Holiness was doing in this speech, where he was pointing out that this is what the Quran teaches. The Quran is the book that all Muslims follow. Now the Taliban are doing X, Y, and Z. Does it fall in line with what the Quran teaches? And anyone that has any 
any common sense or ability to to look at the two side by side, immediately comes to the realization that the, what the Taliban are doing are not in line with what the Holy Quran is teaching, and therefore it brings into question like, are the Taliban truly practicing the religion of Islam, or is Islam something that the Taliban is not? And that's where people themselves can then judge. And the guests there at the Jalsa Salana were able to clearly judge, you know, who are the true, who are the people that are following the true teachings of Islam? And it, it becomes very apparent. And I think this is the reason why His Holiness makes it a point to, to point out that these are the true teachings of Islam. This is what people are doing. You decide which one is 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 the real Islam. Absolutely, and he also then moved on to call out or to highlight um, specifically, and we've talked about this in the past as well. He talked about how this this idea of these these obligations to provide for people and to provide the right services is something that is um, was really exemplified in the time of Hazrat Umar the second caliph. So the idea of having a welfare state, those people who are provided, making sure everyone is provided for to a certain level. His Holiness spent a bit of time explaining how that was done. And you know, I think we spoke about it last time as well with that census, that the first ever census was done at the time of Hazrat Umar as well. But he explained how that time of Hazrat Umar, that society was really the first welfare state really it was established where all of the the rights of people were adhered to, providing them with food, shelter, accommodation. Uh, and it was something that he explained that, you know, Islam was the first to really establish that. Yeah. I mean, this part of the speech was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, when His Holiness was describing the society at the time of Hazrat Omar, uh, peace be upon him, uh, and how he looked after everyone and how he did all of that, I think... I almost wanted to be transported back to mm. that time and experience it, you know, because even you look at today's societies and and you can make the, the point that maybe society is larger today or there's more people now to take care of. So it's not not as humanly possible as it was back then. OK, that's a that may be a fair argument. But the fact that, you know, he took care of each and every one of his citizens living under him in, in his land uh, is just phenomenal. And, and it. You know, it's it's almost like a dream utopian society where nobody's homeless, nobody goes hungry, uh, every every child is taken care of. Uh, it's just a society that you know we wish for and long for today. And I I can only imagine that this must have been such a peaceful society that they were living in. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. As it was like you said, as as you were listening to the words, you were picturing what this would yeah. look like and the way people were provided for. His Holiness then, as always is his way, he explained the dual sides of this. There's the obligation of what you were just describing, Sufyan, the, the ruler's obligation to the people, but at the same time, the people have to have obligations back to the ruler. So he highlighted there that the, you know, the ruler's uh, obligation in terms of a government are to establish these rights and, and protect the rights and provide for the people, but also those living under the rule have to respect the rules and the laws of the land. And I think His Holiness again emphasized for everyone so that there can be no f contradiction in this. He highlighted that even if you're living in a country would say that isn't an Islamic country, doesn't have Islamic laws, it is your obligation to follow the laws of the land unless they, you know, unless they contradict with purest, your direct Islamic teaching if, there is, if that happens. And if that does happen, Islam teaches for you to migrate, not to start rioting. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And this is something, again, that I think today 
as a global village, a global society, we oftentimes overlook. We're always talking about what the government should give us, what rights, what rights our rulers should give us, and how how they should give us freedom for this, this, and this. But what His Holiness pointed out in this address is that, yeah, that's one one side of the. It's a two-way street. That's one side of it. But as citizens of a particular country, of a country that we are fortunate enough to live in, that we are fortunate enough to take benefit from um, the the systems here in the West and, and, and the infrastructure and the schooling and the education system and everything that, that we have in Great Britain where, where we're broadcasting from today or in this case in Germany, all those those privileges that we have, we as citizens of that country also owe um, rights to our rulers it's a two-way street and so many times we see in the world that that's overlooked and we see as you mentioned riots we've seen in the middle east over the last few years many many such riots occur and his holiness has said that no this is not the islamic way when you're not happy with where you live then you should look at options to migrate from that land and this is exactly what the Ahmadiyya muslim community is doing in places where they are persecuted uh, like the country of pakistan You've seen over the last few years, there haven't been, since 1974, Ahmadis have been persecuted in Pakistan, but you don't see an uprising of Ahmadi Muslims in Pakistan trying to revolt or trying to protest or trying to, um, you know, disrupt society as a whole, but rather they're doing what they can through through use of the pen and writing to uh, the authorities and whatnot, but then also looking for ways to migrate. And we've seen since 1974 a huge migration of Ahmadi Muslims around the world and them becoming law-abiding uh, citizens of various countries in the world, including Germany here in the UK and even in, as far as the US now. Uh, a large number of Ahmadi Muslims have left the country of Pakistan and gone to other countries where they can live peacefully as law-abiding citizens. And he also he also gave a warning right at the very end of his speech as we just uh, wrap up on the show here. He also gave a warning that if Muslim governments kept these Islamic teachings in mind, all riots, disorders and war would not take place. But then he also highlighted that it is that the Islamic injunctions here in terms of giving social assistance to the public it's an Islamic injunction that the Western world has adopted and the Muslim world has forsaken. So he was highlighting there how this inequality, despite this beautiful teaching of Islam, unfortunately, it's not being uh, it's not being adhered to. And he specifically, and this is one of those that kind of sets the, the hairs on the back of your neck, but he highlighted a direct hadith or saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that if someone dies in the condition that they are a leader over a people and they deceive those people, such a person will have heaven forbidden upon them. So that felt like a real specific direct warning to the Muslim world that here is this wonderful teaching that you are all endowed with. If you don't don't adhere to this as leaders, then according to the teachings of Islam, this religion that you also profess, you'll be restricted from from the the benefits of, of heaven, which is the ultimate aim of all of us. Yeah, it's uh, it's just amazing, and His Holiness again just pointed out, you know, the stuff that that oftentimes we overlook, and in this case, a direct message to the Muslim world. I mean, that's really really powerful. Where he says that the West has adopted these these principles, and and the Muslim world has has fallen behind. It just goes to show that uh, the Muslims really need to, as a, as a society, need to wake up and and understand 
the rights given to us by our Master Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him, and really put those into practice. And, and that includes us as Ahmadi Muslims. Uh, we fall short as well. But this guidance, this constant reminder from His Holiness, each and every Friday at the Friday sermon or each and every jalsa that he attends and speeches that he gives, such as this one that we've been discussing here on the Pathway to Peace show, you know, just as a constant reminder that we all have to self-reflect, self-analyze, and look at our standards and try to raise our standards uh, to to match that which was which is expected of us by the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him as his followers, and of the Messiah, the promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadiyan, founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. The final point he mentioned was that even the places of worship, he said that Hazrat Abu Bakr had emphasized the establishments of these rights for the general public, and even that their places of worship should be protected and that this is a key teaching and it's a shame that in the modern day world you know there are sadly places of worship in Muslim countries are not always safe even Ahmadiyya Muslims uh, own mosques are not safe Christian sometimes churches as well are not protected despite the teaching of Islam being so clear on those things so as we've reached the end of the show uh, I want to reflect on the series of addresses that His Holiness has given on these topics um, His Holiness Hazrat Mizam Masur Ahmad may God strengthen his hand the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya community He's talked about this in multiple sessions. Today, we analyze the address of the Jalsa Salana, uh, the annual convention in Germany, which was attended by over 47,000 people. But this series is just one in a, this sermon was one in a series that emphasized the true rights that Muslims must respect um, for first to God, but then also to the wider community. And it's run over several years. These sermons have run across multiple um, speeches at annual gatherings and provided a wonderful summary of Islamic teaching in regard to so many specific sections of society. I wanted to end with a quote from an article written by the Al-Hakam publication, a weekly magazine of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, which had an abridged translation of the address. It said, towards the end, His Holiness prayed that Allah may give Muslim countries the sense to act upon these rights. His Holiness said that to date, he had spoken to about 25 different categories of the rights that Islam had established. It was a responsibility of every single Ahmadi Muslim to establish these rights and to spread this teaching throughout the world. It is essential that we educate the world about the beautiful teaching of Islam, both to non-Muslims and to Muslims. Until next time, for Sufyan Faruqi, this is Arif Khan saying, Assalamu alaikum, may the peace and blessings of God be upon you.